0: Say whatever you want! Say whatever you want!
1: Welcome to the Double Fine Action Podcast. I'm Chris Remo, and we are here with Brad Muir, the project lead of Massive Chalice, and John Swisshelm, a designer on Massive Chalice. What's up, guys?
0: Hey! Uh, thanks for having us, Yes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs>
1: welcome to my studio <laughs> it it's does this, sort of feel this like this conference room in double fine production it sort of feels <laughs> like we're on
0: the Chris Remo show it's really awesome like you're sitting there with your laptop and your coffee I've got, and I've it's got like, the
1: drums and the keyboards back there yeah. sadly no house band to, <laughs> oh, man, to we play just, in that would be so great to yeah. have Yeah, yeah.
0: Have a little house band to play your play the Chris Remo morning show somewhere. theme song <laughs> you know yeah. that would be amazing yeah
1: Sadly not. But we got the next best thing, which is uh, a bunch of discussion about Massive Chalice, which is the game that we are kickstarting right now. Go to MassiveChalice.com and back it. Or if you've already backed it, thanks for backing. Yeah, thanks thanks,
0: for backing. Best, thanks for backing. You're the best. Thanks for backing. You're a very handsome individual.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, yes, be- Beautiful. Everyone. Beut- yeah, yes. it, it can be beautiful. Everyone, And yes. handsome. It's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Both. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we thought we would... Um, for our kind of first stab at a podcast for Massive Chalice, we answer a bunch of a bunch of questions from the community. Yeah. And so we put out the call on the forums and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think people have uh, they've submitted a lot of, like, really awesome questions. We so. have many a question. I know. Yeah, I don't think we're going to run out. Uh, well, we're going to run out of time, I think, before we run out of questions. So if we don't get to your question, like... Uh, you know, keep harassing us and maybe we'll get to it later. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
1: There's been a lot of awesome discussion on the Massive
0: Chalice forums. Yeah, on it's, the, it's yeah. really cool. And actually, I think that's one of the most exciting things about taking uh, the game in its early form to Kickstarter and getting people involved really early is that everybody has, like, you know, their own coolest idea of what the coolest thing could be in the final version of Massive Chalice. So it's really sweet that we get to experience all those things first. And then, like, a lot of those ideas are really good. Um, and I know we've said this before but like you know some of the ideas we get from the community are a lot better than the ideas that we've come up with or they you know they it just helps like kind of mutate our design a little bit into something that's gonna be even better uh, So that's really cool like as we decide exactly what features are gonna be in the game, we're gonna be taking a lot of these suggestions from the community and uh, they're gonna, just make it right in the game mm-hmm. and make it better and yeah. it'd be an
2: awesome mutation like the yeah Turtles, yeah I guess right? like using the word mutation is like a little bit
0: weird because yeah. yeah we're not, gonna <laughs> not like, like a
2: like a weird you know goiter or something <laughs> like, <I don't> know. <laughs> no it'll be
0: like growing two new arms and then Ninja Ninja worms. Way ones. yeah like way better arms way like, better, like so that you yeah. can I don't know you can eat food while you I don't know while you play video games at the same time I don't know yeah yeah amazing mutations the best kind
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right so here are some questions from the Massive Chalice forums. Um, Caged by Truth says, You mentioned in a Q&A thread on the forum that combat groups could be anywhere from 4 to 15 plus members, depending on how the design process goes. Do you have any thoughts on adding cohorts or retainers to the mix of squad composition for the battlefield? I don't know how many bloodlines or heroes you guys mean for players to have available at any time, but if they're scarce and vulnerable or expendable, I'm curious how battle groups will be composed, especially if the only way to get more heroes takes a decade or more while you wait for them to
0: grow up. That's a that's a really that's a really good question. Thanks, thanks for the question. It has caged by truth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I like. I feel like uh, adding additional characters beyond the heroes um, is maybe just a little too complicated. Like I think focusing on uh, on just the heroes themselves in the squad is uh, is a nice way of just keeping it very focused where it's all about these heroes of the bloodlines and it's all about them. Plus I, I feel like we already have kind of built into the system because of the epic timeline and the aging heroes, we already have this great system where the younger heroes will kinda should feel more like the squires, more like the mm-hmm. the sort of like inexperienced guys that you're trying to guys and girls. That you're trying to get out there on the battlefield like and you know, trying to keep them safe but also like have them get some XP and stuff. Uh, I had a great experience playing the new Fire Emblem. Uh, There's this cool mission where uh, there's a farmer's son who's really young and he kind of like wants to help fight and he's like a level one uh, he's, I don't know, he's just like a level one farmer, I think. That might even be his class, I don't know. And, you know, they kind of, you know, they allow him to fight, and the whole purpose of the mission is that you have to level him up before the mission ends, or else he won't join your party. I, th- I found that to be a really cool a really cool kind of mission. And Go on and kill the bad guy, son. Yeah, and it was sort of cool. It, it was actually pretty rad where you had to set up situations where he could come in and, like, do the finishing blow to, like, mm. get a nice boost of XP. I thought it was a really good... It, it was like a really good mission and it made me think you know it was pretty influential in this idea of like you know uh incentivizing you to actually bring your really young heroes uh with you even though they're like kind of weak i think it can lead to some like really interesting situations mm-hmm. but yeah i i think focusing on just the heroes and and using the fact that they'll be young uh young I was trying to figure out so young and old and yeah, in and between and what's in between peak the yeah. yeah. peak performance yeah. you know you'll have all sorts of heroes and I think that that can that can fill the gap for like additional kind of uh characters on the battlefield. Yeah. Well and I, I also,
1: think oh sorry. Well, I'm sorry.
2: Well, I think the world the world should feel like there's more people than just your heroes living in it. Um, but these heroes are special. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, right? Like you follow the the fellowship of the ring. They are the badasses of that universe they're the ones getting stuff done even though there's
0: armies out there there yeah. are people living around um and that's a lot a big, of
2: hobbits still living in hobbiton
0: <laughs> and that's a really good point like we've talked about how we want the world to feel like when the when the demons invade every you know 10 to 20 years, 5 to 20 what well, I don't I don't really know the numbers but it's going to be probably years apart uh, when they come back uh, it should feel like the like whole locusts <laughs> the whole kingdom is like fighting them but you are just experiencing the pivotal tactical battle between your group of heroes against like the you know the demons and their generals and and whatever and it's like it's sort of like each one of these battles is like on the knife edge and like if you win this this pivotal tactical squad battle that will allow like the human army to win and if you lose it that the demon army will like overwhelm them and you'll lose whatever objective is like you know being fought over uh and but yeah we want to try to do our best to make it feel like there's a, there's like a larger war happening. Um, but
1: I mean, to that end, heroes aren't just they don't just exist for the purpose of combat. I mean, there's there's raising children. There's we've talked about research. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about other things that heroes can do um, that create the sense that this is a kingdom that has like multiple moving parts that need right, to be addressed right. to keep everything going to support not like. I mean you need to support the uh the heroes in combat but that comes in a lot of different forms. Yeah. Uh, which I think is going to be interesting. And I think decreases the need to have like a bunch of different types of characters when these hero characters are actually kind of multidisciplinary essentially. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. and, and back to squad size, I mean, I think that's something that we'll have to iterate on and see what feels uh, the best fit for the game. Um, we definitely want you to feel like these characters are individuals, that you can connect with them, and that you can also follow their kind of family line as you play the game so that uh, you connect with a, a hero, and then you connect with that hero's child, and then you connect with that, that hero's child. Um, and so I think we'll have to figure out the right balance between uh, giving you a lot of combat options in terms of multiple heroes out on the field versus having a smaller squad that you have to really rely on mm-hmm. well,
1: um, a big part of tactical strategy games in general definitely is like you know not having tons of heroes on the battlefield at once because you always you know each each hero you have out there is super pivotal you know like right. you 've that great feeling of like these I'm not saying it's five, but just whatever. Like,
2: say these five heroes, like, all have each other's backs in like a really important, crucial way. And we want to put a lot of uh, effort into those heroes and give them a lot of different skills and abilities, different ways to attack and maneuver. Um, and I think that you know, when when it when it gets away from you know, 20, 30 plus heroes that are all just kind of firing in one general direction and goes more, more like towards an RTS or something. yeah, it goes more towards hey, this guy's got a ton of different options. How can I use him? Yeah, um, as like my awesome little action figure. Um, and uh, I, so that's what I'm interested in. I don't yep. really want to make each each character feel deep, and each class feel like it has a bunch of
0: options and different ways you can use it strategically. Yeah, I definitely gravitate towards the um, the turn-based strategy games, like the tactical games that have the focus on a fewer number of characters. Also, the battles can, um, you know, they don't they don't really drag on when you know when you have upwards of like ten or twelve characters. It, it just you want to move each one optimally each turn, and it's just mm-hmm. like. the Mm -hmm. the individual battles take a really long time so i think like you know keeping it you know making sure that each hero is very important and and you're very um you're very emotionally connected to them i think that's that's a fantastic way to go
1: cool all right smiles says is massive chalice like rambo i'm just gonna stop this question right there uh yes (laughs) it's exactly like rambo (laughs) (laughs) um We've been avoid we've been avoiding mentioning <laughs> that influence because we're ashamed at how directly we've ripped off Rambo. Yeah. yeah so just, we just can't even acknowledge
2: that. Really is it first blood or is it yeah. new Rambo? Uh, like, what's it's just the, kill the count? concept of Rambo. Yeah. Character Rambo. Yeah, that's
0: the thing that's great about Massive Chalice is that it's gonna have, you know, feelings of old you know, First Blood, Rambo, where it's very emotional and it's one man's, you know, and then it's really uh, about PSTD. PSTD <laughs> right? Right, PTSD, uh, and then it's also going to have you know the like new Rambo, where it's all about like an M60 mounted on a jeep, just killing yeah, a lot of dudes. It's all about an arrow going through an eye or whatever right. happens yeah. in that yeah. movie. Explosive yeah, explosive arrow. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, the rest of his question, which we should probably read, is. So, is massive chalice like Rambo, where you go into battle, you end up slaughtering or getting slaughtered, or is there some middle ground as well? Can my heroes, for example, be captured or imprisoned and turn demon against me? Can I capture or imprison or haul back carcasses, demons, for, carcasses of demons for my side or to aid my research? Could this be a strategy component to combat, to try and capture demons or something like that for realm game, or is it strictly search and destroy?
0: I, this part's really awesome, and I think this is where you see the uh, the XCOM influence of the game really sort of, like, shine through. It's like, I'm I'm really interested in taking a, a bit more of those, like, simulation-y aspects and working them into a fantasy game. Uh, that's, like, a big design goal for me for this game, is that... And, and that's why we have, like, you know, heroes retiring and becoming lords and having children over time and aging, and, you know, it's like... It's a bit more... Oh, and, like, you know, there are no, like, loot drops. It's more about, like you know, researching your technology and then like forging new weapons and armor and stuff like that. It just feels a bit more grounded and I think it could be could make the world feel more believable. That's that's the aim. Um and now I'm totally off topic from what his actual question was. No, I Rambo. think that's totally I think that's totally Rambo, yeah. Now, now I'm just thinking about Rambo. He totally <laughs> got me. Um oh but yeah like I, I think all of these ideas are amazing. Like for sure you're gonna be uh taking the demonic technology and their bodies and you know researching them and trying to find out more about them and why they're here and and all those like you know what their motivations are and how their how their weird technology works like that's absolutely going to be a big part of the game um i really like you know we've seen this this question come up several times of like your heroes becoming corrupted in some way and kind of turning against you and you have to fight them later and like that's really awesome. Like, I don't know if that's really gonna like make the cut, but it's certainly like a really amazing um, concept of like, you know, you fought with this guy, but maybe you use too much of the demonic technology and it corrupted his bloodline, and then his children run away, and then you end up seeing them years later, and they're like, you know, the you know one of the demon generals all corrupted and stuff. Uh, I think that's really that's a really rad idea. Mm, like, yeah, cool. totally.
2: And then also, I don't think, I don't think missions are going to be all or nothing um, in terms of, like, you either wipe or you succeed, you know, 100%. Uh, we really want to have that variability in there where you can lose a couple guys in a mission and still succeed. Um, or, you know, you, you, a lot of questions come up about, like, will characters get maimed or injured? Uh, can they get permanently injured? And we'll have to look into all of that. Um, but, I, yeah, definitely, like, you're, it's not just Rambo kill everybody if you don't kill everybody or if you lose somebody you need to restart. It's uh, really going yeah. for something where you can, you can feel um, i actually been uh, really excited about the new, um, kind of a little off topic but kind of in there, uh, the new Fantasy Flight game, Star Wars role playing game uh, where they have a heavy emphasis on succeeding, but having having a disadvantage or ah. failing, but having an advantage, mm. and having those have this big gray area Lose of like success. Exactly, success is not uh, you know black or white. There's um you can you can do something awesome that you know wins that battle, but might make the next one harder, or you can do something that where you failed this battle, but you were able to keep your guys alive, and so maybe they can come back for the next one and push through.
0: So but that permanent injury thing I think is really, mm-hmm. really cool too, because that's that's something that you you could not do in a game like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics or x Helm, I feel right, like where you right. have these characters that are basically having you know, what is the point? They have like an indefinite yeah. lifespan, you know, and it would it would basically permanently um, well, but kinda, also
1: there's nothing else you can do with those characters. Yes. Whereas that's a permanently sure injured hero might not be able to fight battles effectively or as effectively anymore uh, but he or she might still be quite useful in other ways to yeah. your kingdom.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. That's only really cool. injured
2: from the knees down. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, also like,
0: they will actually like um you know they will eventually grow old and die and be replaced by other heroes. So, you know, it feels less um, damaging to the player mm-hmm. to like yeah. actually, you know, uh, permanently injure your, your mm-hmm. heroes. It's a very interesting thing. And it's also we'll the kind of about. thing
1: that I think just ties into one of our big goals for this game, which is interesting emergent player stories you mm-hmm. know I mean it's like it's potentially interesting to have a hero who had an incredible career on the battlefield but was then permanently inter- injured had to retire from combat and then had like a really fascinating living out the rest of his days like in your kingdom in other ways like that's the kind of thing that we're I think we're hoping players will kind of latch on to and get really invested in as sort yeah. of the saga of their yeah absolutely and I mean kingdom.
0: having you know Like going, having having children, and then having those children like really, you know, be like thirsty for vengeance to like get back out on their uh, get onto the battlefield and like fight for their for their father or mother who like can't anymore. It, It just, I mean, even if there's no explicit narrative dialogue whatever that supports it that's still one of those like generated stories oh, that yeah, happen. Absolutely. you know and that's in fact if anything often those suffer from having from being too authored i mm. completely agree like when it's in your imagination and when some of it you know when you're bringing some of your own kind of storytelling uh even if it's in your own head i think it's like that's really powerful it's cool mm-hmm. yeah
1: all right so on the uh um sort of related i think to john you were talking about a game you're into recently uh, Leroy Octopus wants to know this is not about Massive shells directly but what are your favorite turn-based tactical games?
0: I I mean w- we put them right on the Kickstarter page. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean Tactics and, um, and XCOM both old and new XCOM are uh, those are just my like top two three. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I play a bunch of the other ones but they never kind of grab me in the same way as, as those games have. Like I always want the other turn-based games that I'm playing to be a little bit more like these like these other games. Yeah. Um, I really do like Fire Emblem Me a lot, too. We yeah. listed that, and it's like... Uh, but I think that, like, the battlefield is a bit abstract in Fire Emblem for my taste. Like, I think it should be a little bit more grounded. Like, I like the ones that mm-hmm. have a little bit more kind of, like... More of a, it's kind of funny. Like to, when we use the word realistic, right. <laughs> it's like we're talking about fantasy games and yeah, all yeah, this yeah. stuff. and We use the term realistic, but I think more of a, like convincing, more like, of a realistic yeah. scale uh, yeah. for the battlefield. But there's so many cool things going on in Fire Emblem. I I really like that game too. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head. <laughs> I had a good time with the original Front Mission. Mm. I really like that game. Uh, yeah, Iron Brigade. Are you surprised? <laughs> um, <laughs> like I like mechs. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've dabbled in a bunch of other ones. Like, I don't know, what about you, John? Um,
2: well, I was a big fan of Advance Wars when it first came out. Oh, me too. Uh, I love yeah, that game I a lot of that game. because of the kind of unit creation. It felt a bit more like a, a real-time strategy game yes. um, than than these games. But uh, I think I think like the it's, its simplified interface that still allowed for really cool tactical decisions was great. Um, but I've kind of fallen off of the Advanced Wars train recently, yeah. And, yeah, and I feel
1: like you can kind of exhaust your Advanced Wars like mm-hmm. like
2: limit to a certain point. I never, I never beat an Advance Wars. I, oh, think really? I, I think I, get, I burned I out. I think I always would b- get burned out it halfway was, through.
0: That's that's interesting that you mentioned the production uh, mm-hmm. missions because those were the ones that I burned out on because yeah. they were so they had such a grindy feel to them yep. where you felt like you really had to just keep producing units and keep pressuring the enemy.
2: I mean, it, it's kind of the difference between, like, you know, a real-time strategy game and, then, and um, or a traditional real-time strategy game with base building versus mm-hmm. one of my favorite games, which is Myth of the Fallen Oh, my Lords. God. Um, I know that that game's real-time, but that is one of my favorite games of all time. And that's because it's all about your units, the the, the formations you put them in, you know, taking risks, and that, that game's really awesome. That's really fantastic. So, I love think to that
0: in my brain, I can hear the guy saying casualty right <laughs> casualty oh man and you know that like you're not going to be able to make any more units because there's no unit production in that game I, and your yeah. dwarves have blown up half your guys yes, yes and, yeah oh so yeah, great that was great Love that game
1: so on the on the other have you are either of you guys into the kind of other vein of western kind of tactical RPG games the uh, I'm thinking of like Heroes of Might and Magic and King's Bounty because I, I love I played a bunch games. of the
0: old Heroes of Might and Magic games. Yeah. I have not kept up with that I haven't, series. I haven't played the more
1: recent ones, but have you played King's Bounty? The new, the new King's Bounty games? I've, I have not played those. Because no. I feel like those I've are... Watch some videos. Those before. are kind of like a cool successor to the classic uh, Heroes of Might and Magic games. Mm-hmm. I've, I've played so many hours of New King's Bounty, I can't even... It's disgusting. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> King's Bounty...
2: Um, Which expansion are you on? I mean, it's, it seems like there's a bunch of different... Well, actually, I, like haven't,
1: a, I haven't played the latest one yet, but... Um, but I played King's Bounty. The Legend was the first one, and then mm-hmm. King's Bounty Armored Princess. I played also like just an absolute ton of a oh great God, title Armored by the princess? way. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing. I know, it's yeah, oh, I, love I have that, not the played the newest that. one yet. But like one of the things I think is really cool about the, those games that is relevant to ours is that they really they have just all kinds of weird things that can happen in them that are not like overly labored upon narratively, but just kind of happen and are really interesting that's and lead awesome. to this weird there it's different cuz you just have one character that you control forever. So that's it's that that part is not as directly relevant. But like, you know, there are different keeps throughout the uh kind of fantasy world and like you you have this sense of like, interesting narrative events that kind of just build up over time.
0: We'll um, totally have to we'll totally have to check that out. Play some they're they're cool. Get some Kings 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 bounty. King's bounty. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I'm going to have to check uh, up catch thing. up on some of this stuff while you guys are at E3. Uh, okay, so...
1: Um, Sovereign, Spats. Sovereign Spats says, How will the Bloodline sigils be created? Because I already have a picture of what I want my sigil and color to be, and I was wondering if there would be
2: some sort of attach a file to an email option for those of us who already know what we want. This is a good question, and it's still something that we're um, nailing down the details for. Uh, as you, you guys know, we have a ton of Bloodline backers, which is Awesome. Um, But, like, we're trending. If it gives away we're trending, it could be, like, 1,500 different user-generated bloodlines, which is great, and we're excited to include those. Um, But, uh, you know, we'll have to figure out a way to implement sigils that doesn't uh, require us to have an artist doing sigils for a year. Um, And, you know, includes you guys that that aren't artistically talented. We know some of you could totally uh, bang out an amazing sigil. So um I don't yeah. know. well and
1: also make sure that certain yes certain right, graphics yes. are not yeah. overrepresented there's, there's or a represented lot of, at all in fact yeah. in there's a, there's
0: a lot of uh, ideas that people have posted for their sigil where I'm like yeah like I don't know yeah. if we can yeah, let yeah. you have I a, mean, a bong there's sigil or
1: you're going tame on the possible offenders. Uh, yeah I, but, I definitely um, am, am I mean,
0: trying to keep it in the uh, PG-13 I realm I feel like
1: something more multiple choice or, like, select or, like, based in some way that doesn't require external creation is probably more likely. Yeah. But, like, who knows? You know, I mean, there's any. Yeah, we're going to have to. There's a number of solutions. We're going to
0: have to figure it out so that it makes sense. But, um, yeah, we want to make sure that people feel like they are, like, Accurately representing their the bloodline that they want to see in the game. Mm-hmm. You
2: know? somebody posted a link to this really cool thing called um, this a uh, like blazon generator online, and somebody has written a uh, pie blazon, and it's basically a markup language for describing heraldry. And um, oh, cool! It's, it's awesome. It's really cool. I haven't done a little bit of research into blazonry, and somebody just took that and was like, "Oh, cool!" You know, in, in the past, you'd have to create a language for describing somebody's crest or um, a shield so that you could you could recreate it without having a picture because of course they didn't have mm-hmm. you know photography mm-hmm. or anything um and so basically they have codified that it's on online looks awesome a really neat way of doing some kind of procedurally generated yeah something. yeah text-based you literally put in a text description of your blazon, and then it'll it'll generate an svg uh graphic for you so that, that, is that awesome. was really cool was so totally looking at stuff like that i think we'd have to look into some of that stuff um it might end up being you know just a well you know figuring out like what's what's our master list of sigils and then you can go through that list and choose like what you think best represents your house. And I'd like to get um, community feedback on that list yeah, if we go yeah. that route. Mm-hmm. We're still figuring it out, but uh, hang in there. And you're definitely going to want to make these bloodlines feel unique and yours and awesome. And we're definitely going to also work on if, if, if two people with the same last name,
0: what's going on there? <laughs> I think that's the... Our building the is garage. transforming. Yes. <laughs> Where uh, it's it's going to rise up transformation. Into, the, into the San Francisco sky. Yeah, yeah that sounded a bit weird.
2: Um, but we're going to handle duplicates as well. So mm-hmm. don't worry about that. We got it covered. We know that we have a lot of them, and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh,
1: I don't entirely understand this question, but I'm going to read it anyway because, John, I guess you said it was worth reading. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't quite understand this one either. Oh, but, really? You know. <laughs> Should I read it? It was on the forum. Okay. Finn Rava says, Brad, I've noticed that flannel shirts are cool and make anyone wearing them look immediately handsome. How do you feel about, quote, map attacks and, quote, Syshin for some heroes as they grow better, bolder, and bushier in some cases? Also, can the backer item be flannel armor? We can <laughs> talk about the like last 14 one. 14 questions, and I don't think any of them yeah, have anything to do with any of the other ones. Um, I did
2: a quick Google search for Syshin, and I, I still don't understand what's going on here. Um, oh man, weird! I have,
1: there's there's like a, there's a bunch of people now who know what that means. Who are like screaming? Yeah, at they're like, computer. "Oh my yeah. god, oh,
2: you
0: look! you
1: you, idiot? canceling Sishin. My pledge! That's oh. me so mad."
0: We'll look that up though. I want to know more about Saishin. Although map attacks, what could that mean?
2: You roll up a map. You roll up a map and with
0: just stab somebody with a with a map paper cuts. Maybe uh, I'm sure that he means something different. Yeah. Uh, so
2: we'll uh, maybe, maybe enlighten us on the forum, and and we
0: can maybe answer that uh, there. But. Uh, flannel shirts definitely make you look handsome that mm-hmm. is totally true and what is the uh, bolder and bushier I, beards are confirmed I think he means uh,
1: I think he's essentially saying as they level up yeah I think that's basically I, beards are saying. confirmed
0: and I mean that's you know that's another cool part of like the epic timeline thing is you know seeing your your fresh faced like teenagers and then seeing them grow a beard yeah. uh, as they go into their prime and then seeing them grow a long white beard as they get older uh, and that's for the men or the women in the game uh but yeah, and then can the backer item be flannel armor? Like theoretically, sure. like yeah, we'll we'll consider it. Like those are, you know, we haven't even started that. I don't I don't know if we're gonna start those conversations until after we close. Maybe we will. I don't know. The campaign's pretty long. No, we got another no rush. days. Really, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Although one one thing to note about that is, you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback about that item, and like, you know, some people have said they would prefer it be a non gameplay affecting item. Like people have different thoughts on that, and like ultimately, this item is gonna be developed based on. Backer feedback more than any other single factor. So, like, if that ends up being the overwhelming preference, we'll go that direction. If it doesn't, we'll go another. Like, well, this will it'll it'll be figured out in a way that is hopefully just a cool, fun thing for backers. Yeah,
0: and we really do want to like reward the people that are like getting in and supporting us at such an early stage. Like, I feel like that's pretty important, and I want people to feel that when they're playing the game. We'd love talked about. uh, We talked about it. You know, it is this bloodline relic that comes from a you know, a a campaign that was fought a long time ago. Like I totally love that we can use like that <laughs> yeah. same word and it's hey. Um, but it's, I just think it's cool that like if you see it in your inventory at the start of the game you're like, yeah, like it just reminds you that you were one of the people that you know you were one of the backers that, that really made this thing happen. And I think that's a, a cool reminder for people.
1: Cool. So Ashmole, this is a question we've gotten a lot. I think it's probably not even one hundred percent answerable yet, but he says he or she says do you know what kind of tone you want the game to have, especially in terms of humor versus seriousness,
0: Fred Yeah, you talked about. This yeah, before. people ask us this question a lot, um, and I'm not surprised because you know, like this game has like aging characters and mm-hmm. they die. And it's a double fine game. Yeah, it doesn't like that. Doesn't seem like a very double finey kind of concept. I guess it seems kind of like sad. Although Uh,
2: Tim has done games about death before, yeah, that's (laughs) the lands of
1: death. Yeah, that's a real that's a really. He's done a game in which literally every character is dead. Yeah,
0: that's a that's a really good point. I had not uh, had not considered that. And Full Throttle is pretty pretty grim in a lot of ways. It really is. So yeah, I mean, maybe it's not you know outside of outside of the realm of possibility you know for us. But but yeah, people do ask us this, and it's like I think that that Tim and I have um, different kind of like senses of humor. Mm-hmm. Like we both really appreciate each other's sense of humor. His is more the like witty jokes. Like he's his wit is we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. Just like he's a funny guy. Amazing. Like yeah, it's pretty I, unstoppable. Just like the wittiest person on the planet. Uh hopefully he's not listening to this 'cause <laughs> uh yeah, that would be weird. But um because he'll find some way to spin it around. Yeah, and- he probably will. He probably will. <laughs> um, but like, I I feel like I like the um, the really kind of like over the top ridiculous worlds that are totally self consistent, and the characters inside them never re- are like self referential to the fact that they're in this like weird situation or this weird weird world or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's not out and out funny, but the situation is uh, kind of strange, and yet it feels normal to all of the characters that are involved in it and that's that's the joke you know well
1: to me this is so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna give you a big old compliment right now like i think the name massive chalice is the best answer to this question <laughs> because I, I feel like it is such it to me it's so perfectly sums up the notion that there's something like a little bit tongue-in-cheek or a little, just a little bit, like, not straight about this world. But you can also imagine everyone in this world simply referring to the massive chalice without winking or, like, nudging each other with their elbows. That's the the big
0: thing, too, the way that I describe it to people, like, because I feel like Iron Brigade really has this kind of, like, feel that, I mean, it's weird. Like, I still struggle to explain it now you know just because it's like it just feels normal to me like this is funny like this is the way that we can make it funny but still kind of serious and still really cool and badass and you know all these things Um, but the way that I would describe it to people was like like Evil Dead 2 versus Army of Darkness like I love both of those movies but Evil Dead 2 has less of the like uh, madcap, the, the, like, the yeah, the yeah, madcap yeah. wink, wink, not yeah. nudge, nudge kind of stuff. Whereas Army of Darkness, I think, sort of, it's a very fine line, and both of them are they're both yeah, similar. I totally agree with you, though. but like I, I tend to prefer Evil Dead Two because it feels a little bit more self serious, even though it's weird and it has some like wacky stuff in it. A bit more of a head trip. It's yeah. yeah, it's more, um, it's kind of more serious about its own rules and its own world and stuff. Whereas Army of Darkness goes a little bit off the rails for me. It's a little gaggy. It's yeah, really, yeah, yeah, and it and I think it loses some. Some of the cool humor, I mm-hmm. guess, like that the second one has. So that's that's kind of how I. That's like my baseline description of it, like the, my best example. But um, I mean, the other answer too is that like it's a double fine game. Like we focus on like personality and humor and characters and like it, it's going to be a double fine game. You know, by the time we're done with it. Um, but I
1: think I think one of the things that's been interesting about this studio over the last couple of years is that the notion of it's a double fine game is becoming a a lot more i think is is there's kind of a it's less of a specific definition of content you know like i i think what you if you look at the games we've increasingly been making like there's a really interesting range there and i think one of the things i always i always say when we talk about this is like you know it's going to be a double fine game because it's made inside this these walls by these people like that you don't need to like obsess over what makes it a double fine game how do we put the double fine stuff in there like is it funny enough i don't I, got, I don't think you need to worry about that because you know that by virtue of being made by this group of people like here in this office with this company culture there's going to be something about it that has a certain amount of double fine personality and i don't think i don't think it you don't know, need to like get caught up in, like, how many jokes it has or, or, or yep. this or that.
0: Yep, I, t- I totally agree. And we have been really broadening, like, what the definition of a double-fine game is. Like, we have drop Dropcord coming from The mm-hmm. Leap and uh, Connect Party mm-hmm. is, like, a really weird, different kind of game. But it still feels like a double-fine game when you play it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah I, mean, yeah, I think you're right that everything just comes from the actual people that are making the games is kind of steeped in Double Fine culture. So, yeah, it's going to be a Double Fine game.
2: And you just look at, like, our last major Fortnite. I mean, we said so oh, totally, many, yeah. such a uh, yeah. diverse amount of things that come out of that, but you can see, like, we, we have fun making the games, and I think that comes through mm-hmm. uh, in the games themselves. We want to make a world where you want to go and stay and hang out and play in and yeah. kick some ass in. No, That'll totally. I
1: mean, totally the difference between... <laughs> I mean, it's just insane to even list. Like, Hack and slash, space base, autonomous, White Birch, and Black Lake. Like what? Those games couldn't possibly it's be more different. All but over the But map, I don't think yeah. anyone would look at them and be like, "It's preposterous that Double Fine is making this." Right, right. You know, I don't think I don't think anyone would do that. I think very few people would do that. Uh, even though those games are so different. So anyway, um, McLoganog writes. <laughs> that's a funny name. How do you guys? <laughs> McLoganog. F- how do you like guys that. feel about something like an instant battle mode? I play a lot of XCOM, but if I only want to play a short battle, I don't like opening an old save that I've mostly forgotten, or alternatively, having to spend a few hours in a new game to get past the frustrating rookie stage. Open XCOM added this recently, thankfully.
2: I think this is a really cool idea. Um, uh, it'd, be, it'd be awesome to see what we can we can do about this. I I'm a big proponent of. Uh, letting the players kind of choose their involvement in terms of time, because as I I grow older and I have less time that I can spend on games, like I it's hard for me to sink a hundred hours into an RPG. Um, I don't do that anymore.
0: The epic timelines are rough. I, I, I want to, you know, like
2: you know, I, I want to, you know, be like oh Skyrim or the latest JRPG and like really just get into it, but I, I can't do it anymore. So um, I like games where I can kind of you know part you know. Portion out in the gameplay to my liking and I hope that we can work some of this stuff in. Instant mm-hmm. battle mode sounds great, just like, hey, I want to fight some some cool stuff, maybe with random characters. That we'll have to cool. check this
0: out, the OpenXCOM. Yeah. I have not even heard of that. Um now I'm I'm yeah. showcasing my own ignorance on this <laughs> podcast, and now everyone's making fun of me in Podcast Land. But um I'll send you a link. Yeah, I want to check that out. I don't even know what that is. Can you describe that for our listeners, John?
2: Uh, I've, I've seen the site. I haven't oh, tried okay. it ourselves. Okay. But I, I, I believe it is basically trying to, um, it, it's almost like a big mod project on original XCOM. And I think they actually have re-implemented everything. I, if, if I remember correctly, it might be that the, like, the original source code is not necessarily yeah, yeah. around. So this is kind of a, how do we bring XCOM into the modern age, the original game, um, and,
0: and then be, have it moddable. That's awesome. Um, that's, so I will definitely check that out. I that may be wrong, but check it out. Yeah, it sounds like a cool feature. We'll so look into that.
1: So we're uh, just in the interest of time. I'm going to take a few questions from Twitter just to make sure uh, those people are represented as well. So Luke Polito asks, Will characters level with the split skill tree like in the new XCOM or a single line progression? Uh, we haven't. Or something else. Yeah,
0: we haven't We haven't decided exactly like mm-hmm. how that's going to work. But um, We like options, though. I, yeah, or, that's, yeah. That's, that's totally what I was going to say. It was just that like... Having some player choice in there so that you can, you know, there are exclusive choices that you're making. Like, oh, if you take this, you can't take this. Like, that's always better, I think, than the straight linear thing.
1: Well, especially because we, you know, we have three core classes, you know, and this your game is going to last a long time. So it's like, it's probably not ideal if every one of those instances of one, a given class always turns out the same.
0: Yeah. Uh, and there's also, also, there's we, also the,
1: like. Also, we don't know how many classes
0: we have yet. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we've been we've been using. We have like several different examples of like you know what would it be with three classes, four classes, five classes, twelve classes, like four hundred sort of classes, four hundred classes, all um, the classes. <laughs> we sort of like you know we've been we've been messing around and, and kind of going through the design exercise of trying to figure out like exactly what the right number is for that. Um, so sure. I don't want to like lock ourselves sure, into sure, like yeah, 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 yeah we got three four classes got to do that. Mm-hmm. But. um... Definitely, I think we're on the side of, like, having fewer classes uh, that are then more customizable. And then the combinations of those classes, like, through the Bloodline system, there's a lot of depth that comes out of that, too. So I think we're probably going to err on the side of, like, having fewer. I think three is maybe too few, though. Like, we got to...
2: It's, like, baseline, minimal. Yeah, yeah. um, Because, I mean, we we actually went
0: through the the kind of matrix. And this was in the more... um, I, I guess we shouldn't get into this too much, but, like, we talked about, like, class combining, creating unique classes where the, um, you know, like a fighter and an archer produce a ranger that has completely different skills than either a fighter or an archer. And that, um, you know, that has this interesting uh, outcome where every time you add a new class, you have to fill out the entire matrix, like every combination of two classes, and then it gets really out of control where because three classes get you, That means there are six unique classes in the game. Three base classes. Mm -hmm. And then you combine them them together and you get six. Uh, If you had four base classes, you would end up with... I'm putting you on the spot, John. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, I mean, we did the math and it, and it gets really, uh, you know, we were, we were going through the exercise of like, how many does that make? And it gets really out of control really quickly. You know, having, having five base classes leads to a really, a really large number of classes, uh, to do. So we're looking at this, at a system that would let us, um, combine the classes in more procedural ways rather than like these unique, uh, unique ways. And then adding a new class, uh, is a lot easier because it, you know, it would just lend its skills to the other classes when they're combined, um, and that seems like a cooler way to go. But it's still early; we're still exploring a lot of different things. This comes cool. into
2: our, our our focus on modular design. Like we want to be able to um, create these systems so that we can add to them later on, and not and not be afraid of adding a class because oh my god, now we have to add you know eight nine classes mm-hmm. every time we add a new one.
1: Well, one of the cool things I think about focusing on a single player game. Where the battles are asymmetric, and in other words, like our player stuff is human and the enemies are demons, they're a different kind of enemy. Um, is that you don't have to worry as much about like complete one to one balance of every possible combination of everything the way you do in like Starcraft or a competitive multiplayer game. Um, which I think makes the uh design side of like multiple classes and how many classes and so and so, um less constrained and more potentially interesting because you can focus on like interesting roles and not like have to obsess about is every single one of these like combinatorial yeah, results yeah. And like equally balanced against every other one.
0: That's really funny. Like I I really like asymmetric design. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I think it's like awesome. And I sort of just, you know, I always talk about how cool it is. But yeah, one of the secret reasons why, why, <laughs> oh, I, like asymmetric, sorry, why secret. I like asymmetric design is the fact that like you know, heroes don't have to fight heroes in this game, so Mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about that part, and demons don't have to fight demons in this game, you know? It's like we get to really, like, tweak the rules for each specific one just in relation to each other, Mm -hmm. and we get to change all the rules, and, you know, uh, yeah, it's just totally up to us, and yeah, that's, I think that does make balancing a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some people post posting about balancing and that's like they're like, oh, my God, how are you going to balance this? And it's like it's kind of funny. It's like it's like putting the cart before the horse a lot. You know, yep. it's like it's like we really you know, it's like it's like we've been through this before. We Got to go through pre-production and then production. And then, you know, as we get to closer to alpha, we'll like start, you know, balancing it. It's something we want to keep in mind as we're going through all these things. Course, but yeah. um You know, putting too much emphasis on it too early is is actually like can be really harmful for for a game's design. Um, Eric Robson, lead designer on Psychonauts and Brutal Legend, one of his things was uh, that that he taught me was you don't want to chain the fun. That was like our um, Hmm. his sort of way that he would say it is that you know you don't want to you don't want to chain the fun too early. Like don't be in the sake of balance. Like for the sake of balance, don't put too many restrictions on things as you're kind of, you know, first prototyping them up and getting them in the game. You know, it's like, try to find out what's fun about it first before you, like, decide how much that ability should yeah. cost or how much that, you know, that unit in the RTS should cost or whatever. You know, like, don't, like, don't smack it down before you can actually make the coolest version of it, you know? Well,
1: and even even Blizzard, which is, you know, was like the lord of balance. Like, yep. uh, guys like Dustin Browder talk about that, where you you... You know, even in StarCraft 2, which has to be meticulously balanced for a professional scene, when they uh, are are prototyping new units, they've said they just make them as bonkers as they can yeah. because they need to figure yeah. out like what is the actual coolest part about this unit. And like eventually, they're going to have to tune it into something that's not going to break the game and that's going to be like really balanced with every, with all the other units in the game. But like. You, you don't start by trying to do that right out of the gate you start by figuring out like what's the actual awesome thing about this ability or this class or this character or whatever and then if you need to adjust it like that can happen eventually but like yeah, and the then important part is figuring out right the good and
0: part. you're adjusting parts that um that do not break its funness you mm-hmm. know that's the thing that i think is really cool and I, I that's a great lesson from them that they're very vocal about is that you know, everything should feel overpowered. That's like their, you know, their kind of design mantra. And I think that's amazing because it just lets you, you know, no matter what you're picking, uh, when it's working, it just feels like it's completely awesome and, and amazing. It's like, yeah, it's actually balanced. But, you know, by, by taking that approach where you like find what's fun about it first and then tune it later, you really, um, I think that you can end up with something where everything feels really good and fun, but it's still like all balanced together.
1: So here's a question that I feel like um, directly follows from that one. This is from Surplus Gamer. And the question is, what would you say to reassure uh, people who are concerned that the game doesn't sound very well thought out and a little direction list this early on? Are there other examples of early pre-production stories from existing Double Fine games that could be good comparisons? And I think basically this is this is a general question that just has to do with the fact that, you know, we are very upfront about the fact that we're announcing this game very early in pre-production. Like, that's not... An oversight. It's actually part of the whole point of this thing.
0: Exactly, yeah. I mean, that... And it kind of speaks to, like, uh, the question of, like, what are Kickstarters for? You know, mm-hmm. what is Kickstarter for? Mm-hmm. Like, how should it be used? And that's, like, I mean... We're not really here to answer that question. Like, I mean, no, that's but not we can answer we're... the
1: question of why we are using.
0: Yeah, it this yeah, way. yeah. How, do, how um, are we doing it? I, like, I think it's awesome that you know it can be used in this way, where we bring something that's really early on and we get people on board, you know, early and get them excited about um, all sorts of ideas, and we hear their ideas, and their ideas have a greater chance of actually making it into the final version of the game uh, than if we worked on it for eighteen months and then. Um, you know, then put it up on Kickstarter and announced it. Like, and that that part's really exciting. That's not really the question, though. <laughs> what, was, what was the actual question? Like, it like just says, oh, what
1: would you say to reassure people? Oh, yeah. Like, are there other examples? Are there experiences you've had a double fine that are maybe applicable to this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like, you know, working on Trenched because it was called Trenched at the time, <laughs> uh, later renamed to Iron Brigade. But working on Trenched in pre-production, um, there were, I, I guess, there were some features that. I thought were really critical to the game's success. Um, you know, and this all assumes that you liked Iron Brigade and you think the game's a success. <laughs> but um, the biggest thing that happened is that uh, it was envisioned as a tower defense game combined with a mech shooter. That was like from you know ground floor. Like that was my vision. But there was a part that I thought was really necessary for the game uh, to sort of make it more exciting and make it more um, procedural, I guess and that was uh, we had these traversal missions so missions were not just straight defense missions in the original vision of Trenched. they were um, uh, you would defend a location for a while and then you would traverse to another location and then defend that, uh, that asset on the map for a while um, or you would you would get dropped into the map ran- at a random location. You would traverse somewhere, and then you would defend, and then you would traverse to like an exit point. That was, that was kind of like a thing, and they all took place on the same map. We used like the open world technology from Brutal Legend, and we started uh, working on the game in that direction, and like you know into production. And you know I really thought that this was kind of necessary to have these sort of like more Left for Dead style segments where you're mm-hmm. like moving between points and stuff. But um, you know, when we got it in the game and we played it and we tested it, it just like, it just didn't work. And it's like it's funny because you know, looking back on it, it's very obvious. It feels very obvious now why it wasn't fun. But nobody, I don't think anybody could have known until we actually like got it up and running. Yeah, you know, it was like you know, we we sort of put it together and like like you know, and, and it, it looks obvious now because you spend up you spend this time like. Uh, laying these turrets and upgrading them and have this defense and you sort of set that up and then you go to traverse and that means you have to sort of leave all your hard work behind and that was like that was a really unfun thing for players to do and then also it's the same enemies that are attacking you on the traverse missions because like hey it's like we want people to be able to learn what the base enemies are like and okay cool and now they, you know, they just attack you while you're going but like the enemies in entrenched in, uh, in, in, in any tower defense game have to have a bunch of hit points because the towers are hammering them on top of the players, but now the players are sort of naked and exposed. If you choose to drop towers on the on the um, traversal parts, you're just—it feels like you're wasting resources. And then when you get to the next location, it's like you don't have any resources. And it was just—it was just creating a lot of like really unfun moments and mm-hmm. like like unfun feelings from the players that are are playing the game. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're putting everything like out on the table for cutting. Uh, in yeah, the sake of absolutely. making the game better and so we we made the decision it was very difficult, but we made the decision to like chop that down, focus the game, you know, really try to focus on uh, just the defense missions and then I think we produced a really good game like I think that that and I think that that decision uh, of exploring an avenue and then slicing it off and refocusing is just like, like, we know how to do that. Like, I don't want to sound like, you know, a bunch of hubris and like, whoa. But, like, you know, it's like we've been been making games for a while. Uh, everybody here has been making games for a while. It's like this is, you know, we kind of understand this process. We know that it's kind of kind of part of the process. And that's I think that's ultimately why we thought it was okay to take an early idea to Kickstarter and, you know, ask people for money, ask people for support, and then, like, you know, just go full steam ahead making this thing. Like, I... I just like it's weird like i don't I don't think we can fail, you know, like looking at it it's like it's like now that we've hit the goal like like well now I that just, you've said that <laughs> we're you have this idea. it's like you yeah, it's like, yeah it's like, it's like it's like I feel really confident that like through the pre-production and production stages of development, we're gonna like, add features and cut features that will just make the game what it's kind of supposed to be yeah you'll find the soul of the game yeah, that's how I think of it man that's that's definitely a thing that happens and it's really weird like if, if you've never experienced that like, like it sounds like a very weird metaphysical kind of concept that like the game I always think of it as like the game talking to you as you are like putting it together and it's like it's like you're like the game whisper or something and it like it will tell you what it's supposed to be as you create it and I think that's awesome because it's yeah. actually like you know it's like all the different voices creative voices of the people's working on it but then it is becoming its own thing that's sort of like an amalgamation of all these people that have worked on it and then it's going to have sort of its own like wants and needs and sort of places where Mm -hmm. it should go and whatever and it will evolve over the course of the development
1: yeah and then also
0: you get a front row seat like if you back it and we're gonna be like doing all these you know I really want to do like the open development stuff like like amnesia Fortnite that we did last year was like so amazing such an amazing experience like kind of designing and developing games out in the open and like involving people and, you know, being able to talk freely about the game and freely about ideas for That's the game and whatever. That's such a relief, Yo, Guys it's, have It's no amazing. Idea. Like, I... <laughs> usually... It's weird. Usually
1: working at a game studio, you're just, like, in total silence for yes. sometimes years at a time. And it's, it's such a bummer a lot of the time. I mean, there's good reasons for it sometimes. But, like, it's such a relief at Double Fine these days to be able to share this stuff with you guys. And talk about it and, and just be like a human being. Like, it's, really yeah. nice.
0: it's it's really, really cool. Like I'm so glad that we like already got our kind of initial announcement out of the way and we know that this is a concept that people are excited about. Like that's I think that's just like a bonus of taking it to people early. Is mm. that it's just like, Hey, like people want us to make this game, like let's make this game. It it gives us like this really big boost of like uh, energy and enthusiasm and stuff.
2: And it's great to get people in on the ground floor. I mean, every every game has a blue sky brainstorming phase. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though you've got a, a solid vision for parts and aspects of this game, and, and that's why, why you're able to pitch it, there's still a lot that we're gathering, collecting, sifting through. Totally. And, and that's okay. That's, like, very healthy. It's a part of the, uh, part of game development. So this is actually a phase of the game. Like, we're not in-engine creating classes today. That's not what we're doing right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we're going to do that, and you'll get to be along with that ride as
1: well. And also, I mean, just in the long term, like, the subtractive parts of game design are just as important as the additive parts. You know, I mean, it's like a lot of times a game It sounds counterintuitive, but a lot of times a game can improve by de-emphasizing a system or sometimes Mm -hmm. taking one out, because you realize this was getting in the way of, like, what the player should actually really be focused on. And, like, this might be extraneous. Like, it might be require a lot of cycles like a lot of thinking from the player but isn't actually re- resulting in an interesting enough output that it's worth like supporting both on the game design and in the player's brain and like there's stuff like that it's just impossible to know on day 1 so a lot of the answer like that's why a lot of the answers we have at this point are like not 100% committed be- to uh, to specific features and kind of flowchart answers because there's just no way to know that stuff, and I, I think one of the one of the at least at this stage in the process. And I think one of the really interesting things about working at Double Fine right now over the last couple of years is that we've got this. Obviously, our main mission here is to make good games and to to remain independent and to to take advantage of the of, of that that ability and like gives cool stuff to you guys. But it kind of feels like an unstated secondary mission that we have right now is kind of to share with people what this craft is actually about like that's not a thing that i don't think i don't think tim's ever come out and like said that but it feels like there's been this kind of undercurrent of through stuff like amnesia fortnite through the broken age documentary through the kind of the heavy interaction we're planning on having with you guys on the forum through these podcasts like all these other all these things on massive chalice like it feels like we're trying to make some of this stuff more apparent to people because so often in this industry It's just completely locked off And there's just like often publishers Will go out of their way to keep you from like, Understanding right, these, right. these processes And I like again a lot of them are Public traded companies like they have reasons That they do that it's fine whatever We're lucky enough to be in a position where You guys are funding this game And so we can share it with you because you're doing it And like I, that feels Like kind of an important thing Unto itself that this studio is doing Right now aside like in addition to
0: the making game stuff and it's pretty exciting. I do think it's awesome too. I've, I've seen a lot of comments of people supporting us and saying like no 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 like this is yeah like this is how games are made you know like I've I've been watching stuff that either they've done or other studios have been doing that is more open development and you know people totally understand you know some people really understand that it's like yeah like this is a totally valid approach to Kickstarter and like they're gonna you know they're gonna make cuts and that's cool and that's gonna result in a better game and like that's cool that I feel like it's already started happening, that mm-hmm. sort of like education. I mean, the more we can do this, like, yeah, the more people will understand how this yeah, stuff works. Yeah, it's just awesome. And then I think that, you know, I don't know, it's just going to lead to better games, you know, yeah. better games and more trust from people. And which which is awesome. Like I hope that people trust us because we're going to make an awesome tactical strategy game on an epic timeline. Heck yes. That's oh what God. we're going to do. There you go. On that note, you guys want to wrap it Dude, up? Dude, there was one question, oh, okay. uh, one final question. Mm-hmm. From
2: a very special <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Okay. forum poster.
0: Yeah, no, we got to read this, yeah. <clears throat> All
1: right, so uh, Muir 1616 Brad's dad, <laughs> writes, <laughs> <laughs> Regarding the bloodline concept, what is going to happen in the following scenario? a plus b equals c, d plus e equals f, c plus f equals question mark, Demon. What is question mark? And what is his or her main battle trait and secondary or tertiary trait? My guess is that this just gets worse the further down the timeline you go. But as we say in the advertising business, that's the creative's problem. I love that your dad is just declaring my guess is this just gets worse.
0: Just <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like I think it's really cool that like the dad mirror is I've had a lot of support from from both of my parents and they've been posting like in the Kickstarter comment thread and like awesome. people have been nice to them and that's really awesome. And they've been posting on our forums and that's super cool. Um, and it's like it's cool that like they got really excited about the idea and about the video, and they really liked seeing me get vomited on in the video. I don't know, it was very cool. But They're yeah, so and, proud. And he's in, and he's been in advertising forever. He's an engineer, but he's been in advertising for years and years. Um, and he has all these like sayings that come out of the advertising business that I love. Uh, but yeah, that's creative's problem. Like, super awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, but yeah, we're—I mean, this is sort of what we're trying to work out. We talked about it a little bit earlier with, like, you know, the three—the three base classes and the matrix. And that—that's this approach right here, where you have um, A plus B equals C. So that refers to two of your base classes lead to a unique third class, and then B D plus E uh, equals F. That's uh, so this would be four base classes for your game. Um, and then that produces F, which is uh, another unique class. And now you're talking about taking two unique classes, and what do you get from that? So in this version of it, we, uh, John and I talked about this, and the solution was what was the solution? Is, well, the, is the, the solution the, is that you you know even a, a new class, let's say we do the
2: fighter plus archer equals ranger, that that ranger that ranger's DNA is still carrying the genes for fighter and archer, and that's what he passes on. But I think that it becomes a bit obfuscated. I mean, we don't want it to be sort of the fifth generation of your fighters are this mishmash of six different classes, and they all feel the same, and they don't feel unique, and you don't really feel like, you know, you've you've created, like, the ultimate fighter, the ultimate archer, the ultimate hybrid. So um, we're definitely looking at ways to keep it so that you, you have those choices where you can kind of – you can craft. And it's tough because it gets into this, you know, how, how – how much will this game feel like eugenics or like yeah. right, right. hero husbandry? I think, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and my fiance hates that word, husbandry. Um, yeah. A lot of that Jay is heat. just
1: like the, is like the theme layer, though. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I think one one thing you could do is have, like, if a, if a house marries into another house, one of them is still the dominant house in the given union. And, and that's and our current like thinking, definitely. The child is born yep. of the, the dominant house. Like, whether it's matriarchal house or a patriarchal house, doesn't matter um that that child is a hybrid class but in terms of their house affiliation
0: that's that's how we've been thinking about it is that the non surname partner in in the in the house Will be the one that provides like secondary or passive abilities to the to the heroes that are born, and then that the primary hero that that has the surname. It's
1: worth pointing out again that doesn't have to be the primary does not have to be the male.
0: Absolutely, hero uh, yeah. I, I'm picking my words carefully because yeah. we want it to be so that you can have a, a man running the household running the household. That's I didn't. I just said I was Picking my words carefully And then I kind of failed Yeah but you could You can, have it, you have can also have a load. No 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 I just meant like A man running the household Sounds <laughs> like it's like Weirdly loaded or something yeah. Uh uh, or a woman running the household. Uh, see that. that I imagine somebody sweeping. I don't a, know. Yeah, I know. So yeah, like yeah. a man. I like sweeping. Uh, governing the 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 keep or a woman governing the keep as the primary, uh, you know, lord mm-hmm. of that of that keep. And then you're marrying the uh, people into that keep, and then the children. Yeah. So so it's sort of like the your your base class comes from the surname, uh, lord mm-hmm. of of the house, and then your secondary abilities or stats or or traits or or passives or, or you know other things will come from the uh, the other member I guess yeah
2: so you can have one one family that has unique every person in that family could have a unique combination of those two things which is cool but the family itself has a flavor and you can kind of follow that down mm-hmm. um, so that's, that's one approach we're looking into and I think it does solve this problem where you're even at the end of the game you're still going to have uh, somebody who has a primary and a secondary that is directly related to their parents. You can yeah. draw the line
0: all the way back. Yeah, there yeah. is also like in this in this version, you have a. Let's see if we can just do the, kind of you know complete the exercise. Like A and B equals C, so that means C is actually the combination of base classes A, B. So yeah, that yeah. so C is the big the, A little B. Yeah, it has right. the it has the A gene and the B gene in it. Like right, it's but that's kind might of both the of those classes, gene. right? And then you have D plus E equals F. So F is a combination of base classes D and E. So when C and F combine... I'm going to see if I, I... I really wish I had a pen right here and I could be writing it down. Assuming the first of the two <laughs> it's is an, the
1: dominant in each place, you yeah. probably have dominant A, D. You have an A, D, yeah, right, AD. Which,
0: which creates its own unique class. And like right. we said, with four base classes... Um, you, know, you have to do the full matrix and that gets you something like 10 or I don't know we'd have to draw it out uh, that gets you some like 10 or 12 classes in the game that you would have so so that would get you a G say just the way that, are sure. like whatever C, you name them. C plus yeah. F yeah. there was also another way of doing this where we don't even do dominant recessive uh, stuff where they're just kind of equal and then the kids can be like random Randomized. they can yeah. pull mm-hmm. randomly from it which I really like I think that's super cool so that so that you know again C is A and B F is D and E So um, you
1: could still have those. You could still, you could have the best of both systems, and still have that apply to like skills and class-related stuff. But still have the bloodline. Still have the surname take have precedence from the dominant.
2: And and there's a lot of other things we can pass down, like we talked about the perks and quirks. So I think having that be something that you know is more of a recessive or dormant traits that pop up every few generations. I think that's really neat. Um, there's just there's so many different ways we can go with this, so we we're, you know, we're gonna play with a bunch of them uh, mm-hmm. on paper and paper pro- prototype them and um, get you guys feedback and we 'll see what what is going to work the best. We definitely yeah. want you know we we want to make sure that the heroes feel awesome and that the bloodlines feel awesome and that's mm-hmm. that's where i'm coming from.
1: Hey guys, Chris here just wanted to break in and point out that. You are about to hear lunch occurring in the Double Fine studio right next to where we record the podcast. We actually don't have a fancy pants studio. We simply record in one of our conference rooms called The Cold Room. And right on the other side of the wall, uh, people are about to start laughing like crazy and eating lunch. So that's actually not a studio audience, unfortunately. That's just Double Fine being Double Fine. That's nothing to do with uh, what we're recording. Thanks. Thanks. Well, then on top of that, like, one thing that, you know, like, to be frank, has generated a lot of discussion and is, like, a really big big thing on our forums and and, um, uh, has been the issue of, like, same-sex hero couples and, like, that comes into play with potential things like adoption. Like, there's all kinds of – that's another thing that is, like, not anywhere close to, like, set in stone or figured out, like, uh, in terms of how it's going to work. But, like, all that stuff, I think, is going to combine to make a really, really interesting – like long-term array of bloodlines and dynasties and houses. Like, I think that's going to be super. Yeah.
0: it can just make a, you know, it makes the strategic layer a lot richer. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I feel like, you know, we're really setting ourselves apart from XCOM, the whole epic timeline thing and all that stuff. Um, So, yeah, we want that to feel as like dynamic as possible. And that, you know, multiple playthroughs, feel different because mm-hmm. you started with different kinds of heroes, different ages, different classes. And then that kind of led you in a different direction. Like that's, that's something we're really, really looking forward to. And then also the stories that are generated out yep. of that, you know, I'm super excited. about That's, that part. I think that part's really awesome. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's one of my favorite parts about XCOM. Is just getting attached to those soldiers and having you know, kind of like making up stories about them. We were kind of talking about uh, Zane Taylor in our XCOM stream. Uh, mm-hmm. We just had you know, I mean, even in the first few missions, we just had this one guy that was like totally kicking ass and was really he had like eight kills or something before he was finally brought before down. One shotted. Yeah, it's uh, and like that's really cool, like getting attached to them, and it's like that's all coming out of the gameplay. So yeah, I think it's I, I think it's gonna be really awesome. Yeah, man. I'm gonna, gonna, gonna say great. that where it's not a question. I think it's gonna be really awesome. I know it's. <laughs> I know really it's awesome. gonna be really awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, cool.
1: On that note, uh, let's wrap it up. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks well, for everybody for submitting the questions. We may well do more of these. Who knows? That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks if for listening. It, thanks for backing. Check it out at massivechalice.com.